This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. A Time to Die. That's the title of our lesson today. And um, there's, um, there's a lot in this lesson as well as all the ones we've had uh, from this series and some things that I really would like to spend a little bit of time on so uh, and, I, and I may do that so we may not get through the entire lesson today in fact have we ever <laughs> but you have the notes before you anyone need the notes you all have the notes okay. if we don't get all the way through the outline um, we will get through it I'll, I'll at least give you the outline so you can fill in the blanks and then you can go back and, uh, and read whatever we don't cover. Genesis chapter 23 records for us the death of Sarah. And then we go over to chapter 25 and the first 10 verses of chapter 25 deal with the death of Abraham. So. <clears throat> We're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah today in the end of their life. Solomon in uh, Ecclesiastes made this statement. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1. He said, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. You ponder that statement for a little while and you wonder actually what he's saying. So let me see if I can clarify it for a little bit. Here's, I believe, is what his point is. We must keep our name smelling sweet and clean until we die. And that's that simple. Um, good reputation is worth uh, a lot, isn't it? And uh, we've all heard the statement, he died well. Well, I hope we all do. And uh, we mean by that that um, it wasn't an untimely death or it wasn't a uh, hurtful or uh, painful death. Or that. We mean that, that uh, spiritually speaking, uh, he gave his life to the Lord and came to the end of the life and had a good testimony. Probably all of us know of some believer, maybe more than one believer, <clears throat> during the course of our lifetime that in latter years of life, they seem to get away from the Lord. And um, my plea is that God won't let me do that. And if, if, I, if I start to drift from the Lord, I hope he'll just take me home. Uh, I don't want to ruin my reputation and, and uh, whatever influence I've had on others. Um, and let's face it, you know, as a pastor, you're out in the open. You live in a glass house. And... Uh, <clears throat> And you have an influence, an impact on people's lives. But all of us do. Whether you are a public figure, whether you're in public ministry or whatever, every one of us have an impact upon the people that we contact. Paul put it like this in the book of Romans. He says, no one dies to themselves, no one lives to themselves. And he means by that that by our life and through our death that we radiate whatever we are to other people. And uh, hopefully we radiate Christ in our lives. But when you received your name at birth, nobody, nobody, nobody knew what you would make out of it. But at death, your name is either fragrant or it's putrid. And uh, 
if it's fragrant, the people can rejoice because <clears throat> after you die, nothing can change. Nothing can change the reputation. Nothing can change the impact, the, um, the testimony that you've left, whether it's a good testimony or bad testimony. No one can change that after you've died. And, uh, and probably you're the only one that can change it before you die. And so what Solomon said here, I think, is, is a very good statement. The names of Abraham and Sarah were fragrant in life, and they were fragrant in their death, and they still are today because we still are impacted by their lives. And these chapters that we'll be looking at today present Abraham and Sarah at the end of their lives, and we can learn some things about them, about living by faith, living in faith, or as I have already stated, to die well, how to die well. And uh, let's face it, most of us in this class today <clears throat> have less years to live than some of the, in some of the other classes today. Um, everything being equal and, and normal. Um, but uh, uh, our time is in the Lord's hands and uh, we all die on time. I heard my, I've heard my wife say, many times to various ones. Everybody is born on time and everybody dies on time, God's time. And uh, it's no surprise to God when we die. So, Roman number one, the death of a princess. The death of a princess. This is, this is the life of Sarah. I hope you have read through this passage. Uh, I'll read the verses as we progress through the chapter. But here in chapter 23, Sarah's been a good wife. She's been a good wife to Abraham. She was a good mother to Isaac. And um, uh, she, she, she had her faults. Uh, we, we've noticed some of those faults as we progress through our study of Abraham and, and Sarah. Uh, but she, she had faults like we do. Every one of us have our faults. There have been times in our lives and we what we don't brag about, we don't like to talk about. And Sarah had those times, but God considered her a princess by, by the name that he gave to her. In chapter 17, in verse 15 of the 17th chapter of Genesis, <clears throat> he changed her name from Sarai, which was her birth name, to Sarah. And um, <clears throat> there's not really much different in, difference in the meaning of those names the name Sarai meant my princess, and the, and the name Sarah simply means princess. And uh, I don't know that there's any significance in the, in the change there, but nevertheless, God considered her to be a princess, and he did so by naming her as he did. But not only that, he also listed her in the Hebrews chapter 11 among the heroes and the heroines of the faith in that chapter. Even Peter named her as a good example of Christian wives to follow. That's in 1 Peter chapter 3. And then the Apostle Paul illustrated the grace of God by using her as a believer, and that's found in Galatians chapter 4. But notice first of all here, letter A, Abraham's tears. He wept. In verse 1 of chapter 23, it says, And Sarah was a hundred and seven and 20 years of old, 20 years age. She is 127 when she died, and uh, these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, 
the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came, came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He shed tears over her. Um, he mourned the death of his, of his wife. And rightly so. Um, I've often heard some well-meaning people and I think maybe we could say ignorant people, and I don't mean that disparagingly or, or um, demeaning to a person. Sometimes we're just ignorant of things. Uh, say to somebody else, don't cry. Why not? Why not? Uh, I, I think that's, um, that's ill-advised. Uh, poor counsel. You see, God made us with the ability to weep. And I think God expects us to cry. Um, even Jesus wept, remember? He wept. And um, grieving is one of God's gifts that he's given to broken hearts when people, when their loved ones are taken from them in death. Uh, I, I do not believe that weeping for, you know, <clears throat> some, some men consider weeping to be a sign of weakness. Hogwash. I weep, and uh, I'm not, I don't consider myself a wimp. Uh, if you think I am, meet me outside. <laughs> I probably can run faster than you can. <laughs> it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of a lack of faith. And uh, <clears throat> it's just a gift that God has given to us. You know. Paul did not tell the Christians at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, he didn't tell them not to weep. His caution to them was uh, not to grieve or, or not to weep as the unbelievers do. That was his admonition. And uh, unbelievers have no hope. You know, when, <clears throat> uh, when unbelievers lose loved ones, they'll never see them again unless they're going to be in hell with them. And I'm not even sure that, that they'll see them in hell because hell's a place of separation. And, um, and I think it's very clear from the scripture. And I don't know whether anybody in hell sees anybody else or not. I've often preached this, and I believe it's, it's, uh, this is my belief. It may not be yours. But I believe a person, when they go to hell, goes to hell, and they're there all by themselves. I don't think they have fellowship with anybody. I know they don't have fellowship with God. And... Uh, you say, you want a verse of scripture to prove that? Well, read the Bible. Find one. <laughs> you find one. But it is a place of separation, eternal separation. Not only separation from God, but <clears throat> I, I think separation from everything else. It's just a, it's a weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth. That's what hell is all about. Anyway, Abraham loved his wife. <clears throat> and her death was a painful experience to him. Uh, he showed his love and his grief by weeping. And so, and these are, this is, the, by the way, this is the first recorded uh, record in the, in the Bible of tears. And uh, tears, <clears throat> and tears won't end until Jesus wipes them away in heaven. We're going to have tears. So it's not a, it's not a show of weakness or a lack of faith to weep. Uh, weep if you need to. Abraham's tears were not an evidence of unbelief or weakness. Sarah died in faith. <clears throat> that's very clear to us in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 13 particularly. 
But she died in faith. She had walked a life of faith. And so Abraham knew that she was with the Lord. She was in his care. And in the Old Testament, the very, uh, very little is revealed about the afterlife. But, but God's people at that time knew that God would receive them when they died. They, I mean, uh, Job was very clear on that. You read some of those passages in Job where he's, where he's refuting some of the things that his so-called friends brought before him. He had three friends that came to comfort him, and they were anything but a comfort. You know, if you, if, uh, if you, if you need comforters like that, you know, <clears throat> uh, praise God for your enemies. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, a different story. But um, in Psalm 73 and verse 23, the Bible says, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward revive me in glory. The Old Testament saints knew they were going to glory although there's not a whole lot about that in the Bible. Dr. Vance Havner <clears throat> had a wife named Sarah, and uh, shortly after she passed away, Dr. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, I was with Dr. Vance Havner at Moody Bible Institute, and I shared my condolences with him. I'm very sorry that you've lost your wife. And then Wiersbe, Dr. Wiersbe says, he smiled and replied, my son, he says, when you know where something is, you haven't lost it. I, I heard that same story. I heard, in fact, I heard Dr. Havner himself tell that story on the radio one time. But the story he told was that a lady approached him after his wife had died. And probably it did. Probably several people approached him and said, I'm sorry for your loss. We say that, don't we, uh, sometimes to people that have lost someone in their family. I've said it. But it's very true. When you know where somebody is, you haven't lost them, right? <clears throat> for the believer, to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. And so Christians don't approach death, approach death with fear. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, uh, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So death for a believer is a wonderful thing. I look forward to it. Um, I hope I don't die today. I got a few more things I'd like to accomplish in life if the Lord allows that. Uh, but nevertheless, if he takes me, I'm ready to go. And I look forward to death. It's not something that I fear, and no believer should fear it, because we know what our eternal hope is. Our hope is in the Lord, and to be with the Lord for eternity, and I am looking forward to that greatly. And then secondly, letter B, Abraham's testimony. <clears throat> um, we saw his tears but notice his testimony in verses 3 through 6 here and uh, verse 3 it says and Abraham stood uh, stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth saying I'm a stranger and a sojourner, jo a sojourner with you give me a possession of the burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight and the children of Heth that, and the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, uh, thou art a mighty prince among us. That's an interesting statement. We just said that God considered Sarah to be a princess, and now here the sons of Heth, who were Canaanites, uh, they were basically pagans, uh, considered Abraham to be a prince that was among them. That's his testimony to them. 
We're going to talk a little bit about that here in a little bit. Uh, in the choice of our sepulchers, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold any uh, withhold from the his sepulcher, <clears throat> um, but thou mayest bury that thou mayest bury thy dead. And so he did have a testimony among those unsaved people, the the heathen that he lived among. Uh, the men of that land called him called him a mighty prince. And actually, in the Hebrew, uh, that word prince literally means a prince with God. So they recognized that there was something special about Abraham. He was a prince with God that dwelt among them. They recognized him as, can I say, a man of God. That was his testimony. And uh, we certainly ought to have a testimony among those that we live as being men and women of God. Our neighbors, our work associates, our family, they should be able to look at us and say, you know, he's a man of God. Our children should be able to say, my mother is a, a, a lady of God. She walks in faith. Our grandchildren should be able to look at us and say, you know, I'm so glad my granddaddy loves the Lord. I'm so glad that he, uh, he radiates Christ in his life. Well, evidently, Abraham did because they called him a prince with God living in their midst. What a testimony that is. Sure, he had his weaknesses. He had his, he had his uh, frailties in life. Uh, all of us do. And, and our kids know that we don't match up all the time. We, we make mistakes occasionally because they've made some of the same stupid mistakes that we've made uh, after our pattern, of course. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was his testimony. Um, like uh, Abraham, God's people today are pilgrims and strangers in this present world. Uh, when Paul wrote the words, the time of my departure is at hand, and that uh, in his last epistle, the second epistle of Timothy, uh, he used a military term there. Uh, by the way, <clears throat> uh, we live in tents here. Paul describes our life on earth as living in a tent. When you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and read those, I think it's the first eight verses there, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about living in a tabernacle. Well, it's another, a tabernacle is another word for tent. Well, Paul uses that same imagery uh, when, he, when he makes that statement, the time of my departure is at hand. That word departure is actually a military term, which means to take down the tent and move on. Paul says, I'm about to fold up my tent and move on. That was his last words to Timothy. I'm going to fold up my tent and move on. Well, bless God, I'm going to fold up my tent someday too and move on. And I'll meet you there. And uh, from the looks of some of you, you may, you may beat me there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just call them the way I see them. <laughs> And then, um, <clears throat> so, life is temporary. I missed that one, didn't it? Number one, life is temporary. We're only here for a short time. Very temporary. You can't mourn. We can't mourn over our dead forever. 
there comes a time when we have to accept what's happened, face life uh, as it is, and then, and then for, fulfill our obligations to both the living and the dead and move on. You know, we, we, uh, we lose love, loved ones. Um, I'll never forget when I got the news that my mother had passed away. I, I still get choked up when I think about that. And uh, my dad, uh, dad actually died unexpectedly. Uh, we weren't, that's not, doesn't mean we weren't expecting his death. Uh, in fact, he was under hospice care, living with us here in Virginia at the time. And, uh, and the, the hospice uh, nurse was there in the morning. And I, I said to her, I said, how much time do you think dad has? And she said, well, his vitals are good. Um, he may live a month, a couple months, three months. We don't, we don't really know. About an hour later, I went up to his room, and he was gone. In fact, his body was, was room temperature at that time. So um, that meant that he had already been gone for a little while, you know. And, and, and they're hard times, you know. Uh, and some of you have lost loved ones. You've lost your husband or your wife. But you know, there comes a time when we, we mourn, we weep, and rightly so. But we still have to live life, don't we? And move along. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And, uh, and, and rightly so. We'll never forget uh, loved ones that have gone on before. But anyway, life is temporary. But number two, life is a testimony. Life is a testimony. And I've already covered this point, but I didn't give it to you, did I? I didn't give you the outline anyway. Life is a testimony. And so he had a testimony among those that he lived with. And that brings us to letter C, Abraham's tact, T-A-C-T, his tact, verses uh, 7 through 16. In verse 7 it says, And Abraham stood up, bowed himself to the people of the land, even the children of Heth. He communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of, the, out of my sight, hear me, and entreat me, for, uh, and entreat me to uh, Ephron, the son of Zohar, Zohar uh, that he give me <clears throat> the cave of Machpelah, uh, which, he ha which he had. Uh, Ephron had a cave. He owned, he owned property that had, it was a big field, and that field had a cave on it. And Abraham wanted that cave for a tomb for himself, for Sarah, for other members of the family, as it, as it turns out. Because we come to the book, the end of the book of, of um, Genesis, we find that there were at least six people buried in that tomb. And so he begins to bargain with uh, Ephron, <clears throat> for the cave of Machpelah, uh, which he hath, which is in the land of his field, uh, for as much money as is worth, <clears throat> he shall give it me for a possession, for a bearing place among you. And Ephron dwelt among the people of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went, went in at the gate of his, of his city, saying, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field I give thee, and the cave that is therein. Now, Abraham just wanted the cave. But Ephraim says, no, if you get the cave, you've got to take the field with it. 
That was the bargaining thing. That was the, the thing that Ephraim wanted. And um, I give it thee in the presence of the sons of the children, uh, of the people, uh, give I it thee. Uh, bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, and he spake unto Ephraim in the audience of the people of the land, saying, And if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me. I will give thee money for the field. Uh, take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim, and Abraham weighed Ephraim the silver, uh, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, current money with a merchant. And so Abraham purchased a place to bury his wife, Sarah. You know, in the east in that day, most business transactions were carried out at the city gate. Uh, they didn't have other venues, but uh, what they would do is they, most of their transactions, business transactions, took place at the city gate where everybody was passing by so that everybody that was passing by was a witness to the transaction. And so there was always somebody that could witness that what happened. And that's what was happening. So Ephraim and Abraham met at the city gate and they, and they went through the process of bargaining for this piece of land with the cave in it. And uh, arriving at a final price for the price of the property usually involves some very serious bargaining and politeness. They were always polite, but, but sometimes all their politeness and bargaining was a cover-up for greed and trickery. trickery. And that was the case here. Um, Ephron was trying to be a little, uh, well, he was a typical unsaved um, pagan at the time. Uh, he was going to get what he could out of the land. And, um, <clears throat> and Abraham just wanted to buy the cave. He said, no, you've got to take this land too. Evidently, it was worthless to Ephron. And Ephron wanted to unload that land too. So here's Abraham. He's got to pay for both the cave and the land that goes with it. And so there's a little trickery behind the scenes going on here. And, uh, but Abraham was honest. He was open and honest because he wanted to buy the cave of Machpelah for, uh, from Ephron. And um, Ephron had him in a corner. He says, you don't get the cave if you don't take the land. But Abraham wanted that cave because it was just exactly what he needed. And so he had to do some bargaining. And so Abraham agreed to buy the cave uh, and the field even before Ephraim had named the price of it. Now he was really living by faith here because he didn't know what this was going to cost him. He said, okay, I'll take it. I'll take the land and I'll take the cave. Now what are you going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? You ever bought a car like that? Especially from a used car salesman? Uh, I'm glad Roy's not here. <laughs> I bought two cars from Roy, and Roy was just as honest with me as he could be. He gave me some good deals. Dolly's sitting in the back back there. <laughs> Roy's a good used car salesman, if you have uh, a new car, too. Uh, so if you want a good transaction, go see Roy. He'll give you a good deal. 
and we're being honest about it. But Ephraim wasn't quite that honest. And uh, so anyway, uh, he said, okay, 400 shekels of silver. You know what that's worth today? I looked it up. It's, uh, it's worth about $128,000 today in today's money. And you, you kind of think about that as, you know, a piece of property. It doesn't say exactly how large that piece of property was and the cave. But, you know, uh, uh, according to the assessment that I get on my property, uh, my property itself today is worth that. About that, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, without, the, without the improvements. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, um, in, in, today's, in today's perspective, it may not seem like it was all that much of a deal, $128,000 for a piece of land in a cave, but evidently back in uh, Abraham's day, that was an excessive amount of money. But that's what they dealt with, and so Abraham, Abraham paid the price because he wanted to be a good testimony, he wanted to continue to be a good testimony among his peers. And so that brings us then to letter D, Abraham's tomb, verses 17 through 20. And, um, and, the, field, and the field of Ephraim, which was uh, in uh, um, Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field, and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, uh, that were in all the borders round about were made sure and Abraham, uh, unto Abraham for possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the city gate, or at the gate of the city. <laughs> and after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, uh, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the, came, uh, and the cave is therein, uh, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place for the sons of Heth. Now, as we read through that passage of Scripture, we notice the word bury several times. Uh, bury me, bury thy, bury the, uh, anyway, uh, bury. It's a key phrase, I believe, in this chapter. And I'm going to say something that some of you may not want to agree with, and that's okay if you don't. Uh, but, but, I wanna, but I wanna cover it, that's important. I think it's an important point. That the key in the Bible for Christians is burial. To bury the body. And um, even though Sarah was gone, Abraham showed respect for her body and he wanted to give it a proper burial. And this is the pattern for God's people throughout the scriptures. Neither in the Old Testament, uh, the Jews in the Old Testament, or in, even in New Testament uh, Christians ever created, uh, cremated their dead. Now some of you may have done that. I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to say this anyway, and, and, and I hope for your benefit, and I hope you understand. Um, in the Bible, when, buried, when a body was prepared for burial, they, they washed the body, they wrapped it in clean clothes, they spice, put spices on it, and they placed it in the ground in a tomb. 
and, um, and, and there's no cremated, there are no Christians or um, God's people in either the Old or New Testament in the Bible that are ever cremated. There are some pagan cremations. And so I believe that the proper Christian burial, even today, is burial, the body in the ground, not cremation. Um, a lot of people go the cremation route today for, because of finances. It is cheaper. That's a cheaper way to go. But I believe that Christian ought to have response, or ought to have proper respect for the body. You know what putting the body in the grave is symbolical of? Faith in the resurrection. I'm going to say a little bit more about that in just the future. And, and now you're sitting there and maybe feeling a little guilty because maybe, maybe you've allowed that to happen in your family. And that's okay. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I, I, just, want to, I just want to encourage you here. I have a message that I have preached several times. I've preached it here when I was pastor. I think I preached it three different times while I was pastoring here in the 23 years I've preached here on um, cremation or burial. And um, if anyone would like to have a copy of that, I'd, I'd be glad to furnish, it, furnish that to you. In fact, over the course of years, some of you have asked for copies of that message. But I believe cremation comes from a pagan basis. It's not Christian burial. And, um, and uh, I think we need to be cautious that, we, that Christians prefer burial. Uh, this is why our Lord's body was handled as it was after death. And Paul seems to teach burial in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 there. Well, anyway, let me get off that and, and move on here. Number one, uh, Abraham's tomb was a witness to his faith. When Abraham purchased the cave of Mephila for a tomb, he was making a, making a statement of faith to all who were there. Uh, he didn't take Sarah back to the former land where they were. You know, he came from the Ur of the Chaldees. He didn't take her back home. But he buried her in the land that God had given to him, the place where God said, this is where I want you to settle. This is where I want you to be. This is your land. I've given this place to you. God had already, even though he was dealing with... Uh, with um, um, with Ephron, uh, Ephron about, uh, about the land, that land actually belonged to Abraham because God had already given it to him. But he wasn't about to con convince Ephron of that. And so he dealt with him and he paid for it, you know. In fact, the truth is that um, many Arabs today are still not convinced that that land belongs to the Jews. And uh, they want the Jews out of there that's what the Palestinian thing's all about. But anyway, um, he didn't take Sarah back to the Ur, but he buried her in the land that God had given to him, the land that God had not only given to Abraham, but had given to his descendants that would follow him, that would, that would, uh, proceed, or that would uh, follow him, succeed him. So he didn't argue about the, the body um, he didn't argue, he didn't ignore the body, 
but he gave it a proper burial in view of the, in view of the promised resurrection. You know, when God saves us, he saves, a, he saves the whole person, not just the soul, but the body as well. And, um, and because the body has a future. Uh, our body has a future. God has a future for our body. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a few moments. And so that brings us to number two. It was a witness to a new body. It must be pointed out that the resurrection is not reconstruction. God will not reassemble the dust of the body and restore the body to its previous state. We, I think, are, we misunderstand what the Scripture teaches us there sometimes. Um, soldiers that have lost parts of their body in battle, uh, is that the way they're going to be in eternity? No, I don't think so. Uh, is God going to go out in the dust and say, well, this, 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 this belongs to Joe. Put that with his body. This belongs to Mike. This, you know, God's not going to do that. And uh, how about people that have perished in fires? Uh, is God going to reassemble their bodies? How about people that have, that have died in other types of catastrophes and, and uh, so forth? What about, uh, what about uh, sailors that have been buried at sea and by now their bodies have been devoured by the fish and uh, the other creatures of the sea? Is God going to go over here to this whale and say, hey, regurgitate, man, come on? I don't think so. Why? Because the body, te- actually the Bible teaches us that God's going to give us a new body. That means, Gene, you may not be this ugly in the next life. <laughs> there is hope. There is hope. We do know this, and two places in the Bible, one of them real, is real clear in uh, uh, 1 John chapter 3, teaches us that we will be like him that our bodies will be like his body. That doesn't mean we're all going to look like Jesus looked, but we're going to have similar bodies. Uh, what, what was the body of Jesus like when after, his, after his resurrection? Well, he went through closed doors. He appeared and he was gone. And uh, he did eat. I don't know that he needed to, but he did. He ate with his disciples. But his body was composed differently than it was before the resurrection when he hung on the cross. I believe his bodies will, his body, his, our Lord's body will still bear uh, the scars in his hands and the thorns on his brow and the, and the spear through his side. I think that'll still be there. But that's for a reason. So we will identify him as our Savior and we will recognize that those wounds were on our behalf. But our scars and, and uh, the infirmities of our bodies and the deformities of our bodies and so forth, God's going to give us a new body. It'll be a new body. And so there is a continuity, but not an identity. These two words, I, I, they're in your notes there. Uh, God promises 
thus a new body, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 38 particularly. But God makes it clear that there is a continuity, but not an identity between the old body and the new body. And then he uses an illustration to illustrate that. Uh, it's the illustration of planting a seed in the ground. The seed dies, it decays, but when it comes, but what comes from that is a beautiful flower or, or some other grain, you see. That grain itself doesn't really come out of the ground. It just, it produces either a flower or more grain. And so there is continuity, but not identity. And um, Christian burial means a witness. Means that uh, means a witness that the that we believe in a future resurrection. And that's what it's all about. And so he's going to give us a new body. But then, thirdly, um, Abraham's tomb was a witness to the empty tomb. The empty tomb. When you get to the book of Genesis, I mentioned this a few moments ago at the beginning. But when you come to the end of the book of Genesis, you discover there that Abraham's tomb is full. In fact, there are six bodies in it. Uh, Sarah was buried there. Abraham was buried. Isaac was buried in that cave. Rebekah, Isaac's wife, was buried there. Leah was also buried there. And then Jacob. Now, when you get back to chapter 50, you find that Jacob was buried in that tomb. And so Genesis ends with a full tomb, but when you read through the Gospels, you come to the end of the Gospels, you see there an empty tomb, an empty tomb. Jesus has conquered death. He's taken away the sting of death, and because of his victory, we don't have to fear the death or the grave. There's no fear for us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We can come to the end of our life with a smile on our face and say, praise God. I'm about to make a transition here. I'm just going to change my address. I'm going to move it from here to heaven. That's what death is for a Christian. Nothing to fear about that, folks, is there? Amen. Amen. Well, the only piece of property that Abraham, as far as we can tell in Scripture, the only piece of property that Abraham owned in Canaan was a tomb. After we die, the only thing on earth that we can lay claim to is a plot in a cemetery. And I'm not even sure we can lay claim to that. Why? Because, well, we, <clears throat> we can't take it with us. We're going to leave it behind. Somebody's going to get it. If the rapture takes place, the Antichrist is going to get it. Uh, Wayne, the uh, uh, Antichrist is going to get your whole big bank account if, if Jesus comes today. Uh, if you happen to die before Jesus comes, then your family will get it. Yeah. Hopefully your wife will get it. Ah, it won't be much. Okay. All right. Whatever it is. Well, there are some things that we can send ahead, though. Anything that we participate ourselves in spiritually, uh, we'll meet that in heaven. If we, if we involve ourselves in spiritual things, we can send that 
on ahead of us. Uh, but that's about all. Back in the late 15, uh, 1858, uh, missionary John Patton uh, went to the New Hebrides to establish a ministry there among the people. Uh, that was in November of 1858. In February of 1858, February 12, his wife gave birth to a son. And then on March the 3rd, just a few days later, uh, his wife died. And then 17 days after that, the baby died. And John Patton made this statement. He said, but for Jesus and the fellowship he gave me there, I must have gone mad and died beside a, a lonely grave. But he didn't because he had fellowship with the Lord, and that's what he was speaking of here. He said, if I hadn't have been for the Lord, he said, I'd have gone mad. He lost his wife, he lost his son. And, uh, and but, um, but the truth is that we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. We've been born again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I appreciated Pastor's message this morning. I was listening very carefully, sitting up there, following along the scriptures. And when he came to the end of the message, I turned to the other two guys who were up there, <clears throat> one at the switcher and the other one on the camera. I was at the audio. I turned to the other two guys and said, you know what he just told us? I said, he just told us to look up for Jesus is coming again soon. And that's the bottom line of his message this morning. That what we see taking place in our country today, what we see happening here today, I believe is, is just setting the stage for the coming of Antichrist. We won't be here then because the rapture is going to take place. We, don't have to go we won't go through the tribulation uh, when the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And then seven years later, Jesus Christ is coming back to, to establish his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years, and then after a thousand years, the eternal state. Uh, this earth is going to be renovated, uh, burned up, uh, renovated by fire, and made anew. God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And I believe our eternal state will be right here on this new earth. Right here on earth. Now there will be some changes to it. We, as we read in the scripture, we, we know there are going to be some changes to it. But, you know, we talk about living eternity in heaven. I think our eternal state is right here on earth. Uh, that's, another, that's another lesson. Um, read uh, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. He'll explain it to you. All right. Um, that brings us to the second part. I only got five minutes to cover this, so tighten your seatbelts. Roman humor number two. The death of a patriarch. And this is chapter 25. So turn over a couple pages in your Bible. Chapter 24 is the longest chapter in the book of uh, Genesis. So you probably have to turn two pages between chapter 23 and chapter 25. But when you come to chapter 25, we see here the death of Abraham. Now, I'm not going to read all these verses because it's got a, long got a lot of names in it. I can read these names, but it'll, I'll bore you. But anyway, notice verse 1 of chapter 25. And again, Abraham took a wife. He got married again after Sarah died. He took a wife, and her name was Keturah. 
and she bare Zimran, and uh, Jokshim, and Medan, and Midian, and uh, Isbach, and Shua. I didn't do too bad, did I? <laughs> and you can read the rest of them there. And verse 5, it says, Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac and unto the sons of the concubine, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son. That's a significant statement. Take note of that. But let's just stop right here for now and talk a little bit about uh, Abraham's uh, death. When we, uh, when a person dies, we, we read his obituary, then we bury him, and then we read his will. And that's what, we got, that's what we're going to do here for Abraham. And uh, so in verses 7 and 8, we find Abraham's obituary. So let me read verses 7 and 8. It says, and these, and these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived a hundred, threescore, and fifty, fifteen years. How long is that? What? How much? Yeah, 175 years. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. How old was he when, he, when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees? You remember? I can't hear you. 75. Somebody say that? Yeah. 75, that's right. So how long has he been living for the Lord now? 100 years. 75 years old when God says, I want you to come out of the earth of the Chaldeans. I want to take you over to Canaan. I'm going to give you that property over there. And, uh, and then God says, and he believed, uh, he believed God. He believed unto righteousness, and God, he believed God, and God, he believed, and God counted unto him for righteousness. So that's when he actually accepted God. That's when he, we would use the New Testament term. That's when he got saved, when he was 75 years old. And between the age of 75 and the time that he died, he's living for the Lord now for 100 years. Think of that. What a legacy. Anyway, <clears throat> and then verse 8 says, And Abraham gave up the ghost, means he died. He died a good old age, an old man, and full years, and was gathered to his people. All right, two minutes. Hang on. Letter A. This is his obituary. Number one under that. He lived a long life. He died a good old age. And, and God had promised him that. If you go back to chapter 15 and look at verse 15, you'll notice that God promised he was going to live a good long life. And so he did. Number two, he lived a, fifth, a, a faithful life. And we make sure of that by going over to Hebrews chapter 11 and looking at verses 9 and 10 in Hebrews 11. And there we see that Abraham was indeed a faithful man. Was he a perfect man? No, he had some problems, and we, we studied those. And then, um, and then uh, number three, he lived a full life. And again, we look at verse 8 for that. He lived a full life. What an obituary. He died full of years. Now, <clears throat> that little statement there, four years, does not refer to the, the quantity of life. It doesn't, it's not talking about the length of his life. Rather, it suggests the quality of his life. His life was full. And actually, that Hebrew word actually means 
satisfied. He was satisfied with life. Ask yourself a quick question. Are you satisfied with life? You don't have to answer that except to yourself. Well, Abraham fulfilled the picture of old age that, that the psalmist describes in Psalm 92, and I'm going to close with this. I'll give you the rest of the blanks, but, but I want to close with this. Here's what a satisfied life looks like. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Why? To show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. As I was reviewing these verses this morning before I came to church, Something popped out of me, out to me in these verses that I had not noticed before. Did you notice as we read these verses that the word flourish or flourishing occurs three times there? Notice that uh, the righteous shall flourish. And then it says, the Lord, uh, 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 be planted in the house of the Lord and flourish in the courts of God. And then they shall be fat and flourishing. I wanted to take the time to look up that word flourishing, what the Hebrew word really means. I didn't have time to do that. And so that's your assignment for next week. See if you can find out what that really means. But this is what a full life looks like. And then number four, he died a peaceful life. And number five, he died for another life, another life. And then uh, Genesis uh, chapter 24, Genesis, the first part of the Genesis, the first part of this chapter is Abraham's will, that's letter B, his will. And he gives us some things here as far as the will is concerned. You're going to have to write quickly here unless you want to stay until after lunch. Number one, Abraham leaves us a clear witness of salvation through faith. Salvation through faith. Number two, Abraham gives us a vivid illustration of a faithful life. The next one, Tony. Faithful life. Number three, Abraham leaves us the practical lesson of how to walk by faith. Number four, Abraham leaves us the prophetic gift of the Jewish nation. And then finally, number five, Abraham leaves us the eternal gift of a Savior. And you can read, you can read uh, uh, the rest of it there as, uh, as uh, after the lesson, after class, okay? And so he had a, he had a will, a, a, a final will and testament uh, that, he, that he gave to us. What a wonderful one. Father God, thank you so much for the life of Sarah and Abraham that we've been able to look at for the last several weeks. 
We're grateful for the lessons that we can learn, Lord, that they have left to us. And I pray, God, that we will take these lessons and apply them in our lives, that we too, God, when we come down to the end of our life, it'll be said of us, they lived life well. They died well. I pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.